series. Today, we're going to be talking about sacraments, but before I get into that, I want to refresh you, sort of bring you up to speed of where we are. And Chris kicked this off two Sundays ago and did a great job as he talked about some stuff. But one of the things that he mentioned that to me drove this home was most of us have an idea of the what, but are either indifferent or confused about the why. And that leads us to silence. And if there's anything we as Christians do not need to be in today's society, we do not need to be silent, but we also need to be very careful when we speak up. And the more educated we are, the more in touch we are with God and our relationship with him, the deeper that faith goes, the more we are better to speak from a position of being well-equipped and not just to speak our truth, but to speak God's truth and to allow the Holy Spirit to speak through us to impact the lives of those around us. Because I'm going to give you a little something extra now that doesn't go with the rest of the message. But in light of everything going on in the world today, let me remind you as believers, our job is not to convict people of their sin. That's the Holy Spirit's job. And he does a really good job of it, I know from personal experience. Okay? So let's just leave that there. So we talked about that. And then carrying that why a little further is um, as Christians, our why must be defined by God's word. Let's read that again. Our why must be defined by God's word. And I'm going to take that a little farther than that. Not just defined by God's word, but defined by the entirety of God's word. The best thing that we have, the best tool available for us to interpret scripture is scripture itself and the power of the Holy Spirit working in and through us. But in order to do that, we cannot take one small thing because I can promise you this. If you have something that you believe in, some position that you want to take, you can take God's word and you can go in there and you can find a small passage that will justify your belief. If you do not believe me, go back and look at history. We justified slavery through scripture. We justify a whole lot of things that if you look at one small thing, it does not teach us that that is what God's will is for our world. So be very careful with that. So with that in mind, Chris kicked us off in the first week talking about two things, salvation and eternal security and he did a great job with those if you have not had a chance to see that message please go back it's online watch it it is very much worth your while to spend time watching that because these are foundation blocks for our faith as believers if you don't understand what it means to have salvation how can you know if you have salvation and if you don't understand eternal security you don't understand that it's God who saves us not we ourselves that it's a free gift of God, And I'm going to talk a little bit more about that as we get deeper in this today too. And then Matt last week got to talk about the highbrow theological topic of sanctification. And did an excellent job with that. And I'm not going to try to rehash that because I'm not that smart. Go back and watch it again. So that leads us to, like I said, the children's sermon of the series. Today we're going to be talking about the sacraments. How many of you have even heard that word before? Sacraments. Okay. Now what brand of Christianity, what type of church are you most likely to hear that word in? Catholic. Catholic, that's correct. So I want to make sure that we all understand that and we're not going to become Catholic today. Nothing against our Catholic brothers and sisters watching. Y'all got your cross to bear too. We're, you know, we'll deal with that later. Not my, not my message today. But as we talk about sac sacraments, we do have sacraments that we participate in in the Protestant church. And believe it or not, we would still kind of be considered Protestant even though we don't have a subtitle on our sign outside. In fact, we don't even have a sign outside. Um, so, <laughs> uh, 
believe me, from somebody that came out of years of full-time Christian service, I'm thankful for that because a lot of times the sign outside had those things where you had to put messages on them, and it wasn't the digitized thing that you could just sit on a computer. It was, oh, it's 105 degrees, Randy, go change the sign type thing. <laughs> Um, incidentally, the last church that I was at that had that after I left the church, it was like four or five years before they ever even really changed what was on the sign. So, you know, who knows? All right, but here's what we say sacraments are. Here's our working definition that we're going to work off of today. Christian rite or ritual that is believed to have been ordained by Christ and, next slide, and that is held to be a means of divine grace or to be a sign or a symbol of spiritual of a spiritual reality okay now the reason I have sign or symbol highlighted there is because I want to make sure we get one thing straight uh, that first part of this that is held to be a means of divine grace in journey church and I made sure I called Matt and talked to him about this because I wanted to make sure we were all on the same page <clears throat> but we do not believe that these sacraments in any way depart any type of divine grace to us in other words, the best way to put that is these things aren't magic, okay? Because we kind of get caught up in that sometimes, and we think that this is something that if we do it, something special happens to us. Being baptized does not make you a Christian. Taking a communion, taking the Lord's Supper does not make you a Christian. And the easiest way I can illustrate this, and it's something I feel like I always have to address every time, and I don't understand this because I am a Charlotte native, but I'm the one around the office when I'm in the office that gets picked on because of my accent. The Canadian picks on me. <laughs> Even worse, the Yankee from Michigan that used to be on staff, Don, I hope you're watching. I love you. You're a dear friend. Used to really ride me about it. I'm like, guys, I'm the one from here. I do not have the accent. You guys have the accent. Okay, you can clap for that. That's worth clapping for. Okay. But here's the point I'm getting, trying to make with this thing about these things do not make you a Christian. I do not have this accent in order to be Southern. I have this accent because I am Southern. Does that make sense? Okay. We do not do these things to become a Christian. We do these things because we are a Christian. So if you take anything away from that today, let that sort of sit there and realize that these are not magical. You want to see a magic show I can work that out for you too that's a whole different story but again this is not a magic show today this is a message to hopefully bring us more in touch with how Christ wants to work in and through us to help us better live out our faith in the public forum okay so with that in mind when we talk about the sacraments um, there are if you look at the Catholic Church or the Episcopal Church or the Anglican Church uh, these would be the sacraments that would most likely be the ones that they would say are part of their process of liturgy baptism confirmation the eucharist or communion and that's a different word and there's another word that we can always throw in there too and we're going to talk about that today the lord's supper those are all three basically the same thing penance uh the anointing of the sick marriage and holy orders now while we're going to focus on baptism and communion today i will say that um we do still believe that anointing of the sick is a thing uh, you know, if you were sick and you wanted the elders or people in the church to come anoint you and pray for you, you can talk to Matt. We'll be glad to do that. If you ever want to hear a really funny story about that, I will be glad to tell you, but I'm not going to share that one from up here today. Obviously, we still believe in marriage, 
And um, mer- this bottom one, holy orders or ordination, we don't have deacons in our church, but in churches where you have deacons, you have elders, people that are going into the ministry. They have a process through which we call being ordained. I went through it in order to become a pastor. Um, and it's not just a matter, if you've ever been to an ordination service, the, the person that's being ordained a lot of times, will they'll put them in a chair down front and all the like deacons in the church, or it's different for every church, but they'll come, they'll lay hands on them, they'll pray for them. It is a very moving time. It really is. And it happened many, many years ago for me, and I still remember that. But then they also, the way we also describe it sometimes in the behind the curtain thing is empty heads on empty hands. Or empty hands on empty heads, because that's the way it can feel like sometimes. But we do ordination still. That's important. If we had someone that was going, said they feel called into the ministry, we would ordain that person to go out and to fulfill that calling in their life. So with those in mind, the two that we're going to talk about today, as I've already mentioned, are baptism and communion or the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm going to address the elephant in the room because some of you are wondering, what on earth is this? We're going to have at the end of the service, full-blown, traditional, for lack of a better term, Southern Baptist communion. (laughs) So under this tablecloth is not a dead body or anything like that. We have the elements for the Lord's Supper. We have the bread and we have the juice. We also have a gluten-free option. I'll talk about that more, but I'm saying that more not to remind you, but to remind me for when we get to that point. But uh, that's what this is all about, so forget about that until we get to that time and let's focus on what's happening up here. So, baptism and the Lord's Supper. Uh, two very important sacraments, two very important things that we celebrate in the church. And I want to make sure you understand that word. We celebrate those things. Uh, and the reason we celebrate them is, you know, they're important within our Christian life. They're important within the communal life of the church and that ecclesia that we have to help us build community. But to get a little bit better understanding of what we're talking about, these are rituals, okay? This is one of the what things. All these that we talk about, whether they're the two we're focusing on today or any of the others, are rituals. And a ritual, again, referring to the dictionary, we will get to scripture after a while, I promise. A religious or solemn ceremony consisting of a series of actions performed according to a prescribed order. Now, I'm going to sit here for just a second because this really gets me into my children's sermon part of today because not only is this communion table set up so that we can have communion, but it also hides my prop for today. Yeah, baby. Uh, (laughs) Okay, you're right. This is a golf club. My loving wife, who I love dearly, got me this as a Christmas present. Because I've been trying to be better at playing golf. How many golfers we have in the house? Okay. As a side note for this, I'm always available for play dates. Um, so, I have played golf for a long, long time. Uh, predates Don and I dating, which predates a lot of you in here. But I've never been that great at it. I've always been that golfer that would usually shoot around 100 to 103. And I just got tired of doing that. And back last year, I was playing golf with a buddy of mine, and he got a new driver. And he let me hit the driver, and I realized that I was hitting it really well. And part of the reason was the last new set of clubs that I bought, I bought before our son was born. Our son will turn 27 a week from tomorrow. Uh, Technology has changed (laughs) since then. And so I started hitting my buddy Steve's driver, and I was hitting it really well, and I was just telling Donna about it. Well, Donna got in touch with Steve, found out what type of driver it was, and Christmas morning I go and I open up what I thought were all my presents, and she's like, oh, wait, but wait, there's more. You know, it's like the thing on TV. And 
So she says, look behind the door in your office. Great place to hide things in my office. I rarely go in there. Um, <laughs> she hid it not for Christmas. But I go and I pull out the, this box, and it's a brand-new driver. Now, a little bit of a side note to that, the one that she got me, which was just like my buddy's, I opened it up, and I got to looking at it, and it was broken. Uh, it, she got it from Dick's. No reflection on Dick's. Love Dick's. They do great things. They take good care of me all the time with that. But... It, she had ordered it online. It, it had gotten shipped from a warehouse somewhere. They'd never even taken a look at it, and the top of the graphite or a carbon fiber head was cracked. So next day I went to Dick's, told them about it. They were willing to make it good, but they did not have another one of those. So I called Donna. I said, they don't have another one. I said, they all have this one, but it's more than the one you bought me. And again, my loving wife, who always knows what to say, said, well, you can't not have a Christmas present. Just get it. So I did. All right. <laughs> now... Just having this did not make me a better golfer. I had to really sit down and analyze what I was doing in golf. And one of the things that I found out was that I did not have a pre-shot ritual. When you're standing on the tee box or you're standing over the ball in the fairway or you're getting ready to putt. And if you golf, you understand what I'm talking about. So even with this brand new amazing club that hits the ball straighter than I've ever hit a ball before, one thing I realized that if I didn't have a pre-shot ritual, I might be hitting the ball straight, but I'd be hitting it straight into the woods. So, got, do, got to do my research and found out, okay, what do I need to do? And I found this pre-shot ritual that works for me. And I, I'm not going to hit a golf ball. Please don't be afraid in the center section. Although Shin did mention wanting a new TV in the back. I can make that happen uh, if you want to. But it, I started watching this, and the first thing I realized is I was not teeing the ball up at a consistent height, which is important for these oversized drivers. So I went out and I thought, well, how can I make that better? So I found these tees. I don't know if you can see it from where you are, but they've got lines on them. And I bought like 500 of these things. And I went to the driving range and I figured out what height I needed the tee at in order to hit the ball consistently. And I discovered that if I stick it in to where that second from the bottom line is in the ground and put the ball on it, that's where I tee it up every time. All right, that's not enough, though, and I'm not going to tee that up. I'm not going to do that. But... The other thing, like I said, I could hit it straight in the woods. I figured out my alignment was wrong. And if you play golf, you know that's a big thing. So I found out that if I tee my ball up to the second line on the tee, and then I stand on the tee, and I look where I'm aiming my ball, and I hold my club out and close my left eye. Yeah, that's part of it. And line the ball up with where I'm aiming the ball, because I have trouble aiming 300 yards away at something. But I look along the shaft of where I'm aiming about three feet in front of me, and I pick out a piece of grass, a broken piece of tee, a spot in the dirt, whatever, and that becomes my aiming point. So when I stand over the ball and I grab the club, instead of looking way down there, now my ball's already at the right height it needs to be, and by the way, I'm not charging extra for the golf lesson today, in case you wonder. <laughs> okay, but I put that up there, I line up, I make sure I'm aiming at the spot that I've got there, and here's the kicker. The very last thing that I do before I swing the club is I tell myself one simple word. Relax. Who said don't do it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I say relax because I realized all these years everything was so tense. So I relax that. I take a nice even backswing. And about two months ago, I played Goodyear Country Club up in Virginia with a buddy of mine. For the first time in all my years of playing golf, when I putted the ball into the hole on the 18th green, the ball that I putted with was the exact same ball that I started with on tee number one. <laughs> I was proud of that. And my other thing was, when I started this, like I said, I was shooting around 100 to 105. I'm averaging in the high 80s now. My handicap is now 16. Why? 
because I've developed a ritual that means something. I've developed a ritual that helps me accomplish something that I wanted to accomplish. And the reason I say that is because as we get into these sacraments, as we get into these rituals, they have to serve a purpose. We're not talking about superstition. And the best illustration I can give for that is, and guys, you know this, because you do it whether you want to admit it or not. I'm just the only one that's going to stand up in front of you and say this. You've got your sports team that you like, and you've got your jersey that you wear every time they're on a winning streak, and you're going to wear that jersey every time because you think if you don't wear that jersey, they're not going to play well. Or, And I admit, like I said, I've done it. I, I love to watch Carolina Tar Heel basketball, and I'll be sitting there watching. Duke fans, just be quiet. Um, <laughs> We, went to, we won the championship this year. Not the, one, not the one on Monday night, the one on Saturday night that y'all lost. It's a whole different thing. Uh, <laughs> don't clap for that, please. I don't want to. We talk about division in the church. That's not one I want to start today. But yeah, there have been times I'll be watching a basketball game, and my wife will tell you a lot of times I like to stand up while I'm doing it, and I've got the stress reliever ball that I'll keep in my hand because I can get, a, I know you have trouble believing this, I can get a little animated at times. In the old days, I would throw things at the TV, but that's when they had that big picture tube and you couldn't break them. You can't throw things at this new stuff. So I got this, but I, this ball I'll squeeze, but I'll stand up through the whole first half. And they played really good in the first half. Do you know what that means? It means I got to stand up during the second half. I know, I know, I'm not a dumb person, even though I was one of those 30 that wore the same shirt last week. I'm not a dumb person, but we get these things in our mind. You know, it is not going to make my team play better if I stand up the second half. But when we approach these sacraments, these rituals, these religious ceremonies in a proper way, they do benefit us. They do help draw us into a closer relationship with God and a deeper understanding of the faith that we have and the faith that we are supposed to share. So that's the why behind why we do all this. Now let's dig in a little deeper. What's the, what's the why behind this well the first one that we come with especially with the ones we're going to talk about today is jesus said so now if your parents you know growing up as a kid you ask your parents something and they were frustrated with you and you were asking why you had to do this and you got what phrase because i said so and you grew up thinking that mom and dad is not a valid reason for me to do something and then you became a parent and you found out because I said so is an absolutely valid reason to do something. But we've got to go deeper than that. Yes, when we talk about baptism, we talk about communion, we're doing these things because Christ instructed us to do them. And the reason he instructed us to do them is because he knew they were going to be beneficial to their, our faith. So if we stay, take it a step farther than just because he said so, we see that these things are also, go to the next slide, the deeper why to this is there are means through which we can express and examine our faith. A means through which we can express and examine our faith. Because I really believe a life of faith that is lived unexamined is a life of faith, first of all, not worth living. But also, if we live a life of faith that's not examined, it's not going to be a life of faith that's expressed. We are not going to impact the folks around us in the way that God intends for us to as believers. So we're going to talk about baptism, first of all. Now, we could have, we actually mentioned this about did we have anybody need to be baptized. We talked about including baptism in with this today, but I already know I'm going to run long as it is. So 
as we talk about baptism, I want you to think back. How many of y'all have been here for a baptism service at Journey? My wife and I have had this conversation. Journey has the best baptism services. Um, and, and I can say that because I had no part in planning any of that, and I don't get paid extra for mentioning that or anything like that. But we celebrate baptism. We celebrate that individual who has professed their faith in Christ and is willing to stand in front of a group of people and say, I am a believer. But what are we doing here? What's the what of baptism? The what is this? The religious rite of sprinkling water onto or a person, on, the religious rite of sprinkling water onto a person's forehead or of immersion in water, symbolizing purification or regeneration and admission into the Christian church. Okay, that, that's a lot. And again, that's that... Merriam-Webster type de definition for that. And I'm not going to get into the sprinkling versus dunking thing today. That, to me, that's not important. Those are the things that we let divide us that aren't things that we need to let divide us. But again, baptism is not magical. Taking and putting someone under water and raising them back up does not result in them entering the kingdom of God. Putting someone under water and holding them under water, <laughs> if they are a believer, might progress their entrance into the kingdom but again we're not going to do that either but if you've seen it here you know we have the pool set up and we bring the people forward and what i love is the videos man those things get me every time especially the kids and when you hear these these young children that are so well spoken uh there was one a while back and i was like oh, a parent had to help them write it and i was talking to coach she's like no wrote that whole thing man i was blown away uh but it's that opportunity to stand up and say, this is what we believe. This is what I believe as an individual. This is why I'm doing it, because I have accepted Christ as my personal Lord and Savior. And so, okay, Randy, you've said a lot. You've said we need to interpret Scripture with Scripture. There has to be some Scripture that talks about this. As a matter of fact, there is. So let's see what the Bible says about baptism. And this is the because I said so verse, okay? This is Jesus talking after his death, burial, and resurrection as he's giving some of his final instructions to his disciples. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, doing what? Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Next one. There we go. Whoop. Wait a minute. Where'd my scripture go? Should be another one there. What comes up after this one? Okay, good. All right. <laughs> uh, this is Paul talking to the church at Rome. And he says, therefore, we were buried with him by the baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. So now think about this. The first one we talked about said, baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. This talks about we're raised again into a new way of life. Go to the next one. Uh, now, this is the one that I love because to me, one of the main things about baptism is that it's a public form of confession. And so we're going to talk about salvation a little bit. What does it mean to be saved? Uh, hopefully you've accepted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. Hopefully you've had a point in time in your life when you have acknowledged that you've sinned, you're no good on your own, you can't get to heaven on your own. The only way you can get there is by accepting God's free gift of salvation. Some of you, a lot of you, most of you probably said what we call the sinner's prayer. I challenge you to find that anywhere in Scripture. It's not in there. That's just what we've developed over the years to help, I guess, clarify this. But if you want to boil it down to the rock bottom, what does it mean to be saved? Romans 10, and we're going to look at 10, 9 and 10, says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Next slide. 
Uh, one believes with the heart, resulting in righteousness, and one confesses with the mouth, resulting in salvation. Okay, what does all that mean? We got one more scripture, right? Next slide. Okay. Nope, we're going to stop there. Okay, so this is to me the why behind baptism. It's a public confession of our acceptance of God's free gift of salvation. It is an opportunity for the individual to stand in front of an assembled body of believers and say, this is what I've done. I have died to my old life. I'm being buried with Christ and raised again to new life in Christ. Now, everybody does it differently. All pastors have their little thing. And, you know, we have the thing that we show, which I think is awesome. But Matt or whoever's baptizing always ask the person a question. And I always did this, too. I would always say, whoever was baptized, I would say, what has the Lord done for you? Or what has Christ done for you? And what you want to hear in that is something about he saved me. He's forgiven me my sins. He's given me new life in Christ. Something that indicates they understand the commitment that they've made. And then I would always say in my very best Baptist words, so-and-so upon this confession of faith in accordance to his command, I baptize you, my brother or sister, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And that, that always, Craig, there is a thrill that somebody that has never baptized any but does not understand about being the person that gets to take that person and raise, you know, put them underwater and bring them back up. And it's not that act of doing that, but it's something about the act of just getting to share in that experience in that water with them. And again, it's not magic, but in some ways it's magical, you know, just from that feeling that it gives you. So that's how I do it. Um, and that's what that's all about to me. And so I want to encourage you before we transition into the communion part of the service today, number one, if you have confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that God has raised Jesus from the dead and you've never been baptized, talk to one of the staff here. And I know one of the things, even as a child, that held me back from making my public profession of faith, because again, I know you'll find this hard to believe, I was a very shy child. I did not like being in front of people. Uh, and the only reason I do this today is by the grace of God. That's the only reason I'm able to stand up and talk to people today. But um, one of the things that held me back, because I wanted to be saved, but I knew the way we did it, we had the invitation where you had to go down to the church, you know, go down to the front of the church at the end of the service. That terrified me. And then the thought of getting up in that baptismal pool in front of everybody, oh, it, it, it was a God thing. I tell you that I finally did it because I had so much to overcome. With that, but if you haven't been baptized, but you know you've been saved, talk to one of us. Let's get that on the schedule. Let's get that worked out. But then the other part of that is if you've never confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Christ really is who he says he is and that what he did on the cross is the only means of payment for our sin, and you'd like to make that profession of faith, please come talk to us too. I'll be in the space after this. Coffee with the pastors is going on today. I'd love to be the person who gets to talk to you and help you better understand what it means to become a Christian and to begin your walk of faith. I would, that would make my day if you did that today. So that's baptism. That's the why and the what of baptism. Now let's jump over into communion. What is communion? The what? Christian worship at which bread and wine are consecrated and shared in order to commemorate the death of Christ. Okay. Now we are not sharing wine today. We're sharing grape juice. What we are sharing today is bread, but it's like the bread like most likely they had at the Passover, which is called unleavened bread. We call that today cracker. Um, <laughs> and I, I will tell you this, you are not going to be impressed. Uh, it's the little tiny square. I was looking at the nutritional information. There is none whatsoever. No value nutritional-wise. 
serving is one piece, no calories. And again, we do have the gluten-free option. And again, I say that to remind myself. But um, I'm not gluten. I don't have a problem with gluten. I just know that if I forget, there'll be somebody here that I'll forget to get a gluten-free piece of bread to today. Now, when we talk about the what, I want to rest here for just a second because we mentioned that you know, you've got the Catholic Church, you've got the Episcopal Church, you've got the Anglican Church, and then you've got the Protestant churches. And each one of these groups has a slightly different view of what happens when we do communion. And again, we see it as a symbol. We see it as an opportunity to do what Christ instructed us to do, to do this in remembrance of his death. But the Catholic Church believes in something called transubstantiation. And that's my big word for today, transubstantiation. Trans means across or to become. The Catholic Church actually believes that when the priest takes the bread and takes the wine and blesses it, that it actually becomes the body and blood of Christ. Still tastes like bread, still tastes like wine, but it becomes the body and blood of Christ. Now, other churches like Episcopal and Anglican believe in what we call consubstantiation. Actually, you get two big words today. Consubstantiation, those churches that follow that belief in communion or the Eucharist believe that when the priest or the minister, whoever it is, blesses it, that it doesn't transform into the blood and body of Christ, but that the elements of the blood and body of Christ are present in the bread and present with the wine at the same time. So the wine is wine, but the wine is also blood. The bread is bread, but the bread is also body. Aren't you glad we don't have to deal with that? It's cracker and juice. But it still means something. It's still important. And we got six different verses to look at for this, so bear with me on those as we look and start to delve into the why. First of all, this is uh, dealing with the Lord's Supper. When Passover is taking place and Jesus told his disciples, you know, to go get the room ready, this is in that setting. They're all reclined around the table. They've just finished the Passover meal. It says, when the hour came, he reclined at the table and the apostles with him. Then he said to them, I have fervently desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Next one. Uh, For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it's fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then he took a cup and after giving thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I tell you, from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks, broke it, gave it to them and said, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Now, I'm going to pause there for just a second, because if you've taken communion in a more traditional setting, we've all seen the table that sits at the front of the church, big wooden table, and it's always got this phrase. It'll say, do this in remembrance of me, or if you're real liturgical, it says, this do in remembrance of me. But that's always engraved across the front. And in most traditional churches, that table sits at the front of the church every week, and it sits there, whether intentionally or not, as a reminder of what Christ has done for us so that we remember that sacrifice. But that phrase is important because this is part of the why. Do this in remembrance of me. Next one. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood It is shed for you. For as all, and this is skipping over to Corinthians. This is Paul giving instructions to the church at Corinth about why we do this. He says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So not only are we remembering 
what he did for us, we are proclaiming to those around us what he has not just done for us, but what he's done for them. Because what does scripture say? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We are not part of an exclusive club. And if there's one verse that I didn't throw up here, Romans 6, 23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Chris focused on that two weeks ago. And if you're wondering what the Hebrew word all means, it means all. Everybody. We all did it. None of us get out scot-free. We've all sinned. Your sin may be different than my sin, but we've all sinned and we need a Savior. And this is a way to proclaim that to those around us. Next. Okay. As we come to this time of communion, here's the things that I want you to think about as we move into this. What we're getting ready to do is a time of reflection. It's a time to reflect upon what God has done for us, is doing for us, and will do for us. This is not just about something that happened. It's about something that is happening and it's about something that will continue to happen. Not just continue to happen until Christ comes back, but will continue to happen for all of eternity. Because if you jump back two weeks and look at Chris's message, if you are saved, you are saved. And there is nothing that can take that away. So we will be celebrating with Christ through all of eternity. Now in just a second, we're going to sing a hymn because if we're going to do this traditionally, we might as well do the whole thing. But here's the one thing, and here's the reason I wanted us to do all of this today. Is there a more efficient way of doing this? Yes. Are there other ways to do it that are just as effective? Yes. I will tell you that the Good Friday service that we had before, right, before Easter this year is one of the most meaningful communion services I've ever been a part of. But the reason I wanted us to do it this way today is because of this little plastic cup. If you'll take and look at that cup, you'll notice there's still a little bit of that juice in the bottom in there. Don't try to suck it out because I know some of you are thinking. Here's your assignment for this week, for this month, for this year, forever how long. Christ said, do this in remembrance of me. This is your take-home souvenir today. As you take this home, that little bit of juice is going to dry in the bottom of that. And it's going to serve as a constant reminder of the blood that Christ shed for us. I want you to take it. Put it on your nightstand, your vanity, wherever. There's a place that you're going to see it every day to remember what he did for us. Because that is why we do those things. The more we remember, the more we appreciate, and the more we proclaim. We're going to sing that song that Shen promises. Huh? Yeah, you got the doxology? Oh, man, we're going full bore traditional. Yes. <laughs> Some of you may not have a clue what this song is. Take it away, Shin. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Sing that one more time. Praise Father, whom all 
do me one last favor. Use these things that we've talked about today as an opportunity to remember who you are in Christ, but also who Christ is in you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day and the opportunity to come together. We thank you for the time we've had to remember what you've done for us, even though we don't deserve it. Father, I pray that you'll help us to take these things and use them as things to strengthen our faith, to grow in our relationship with you, but also to better equip us to prepare us to go out and to share with the world that needs to know that there is love and there is a God that loves them unconditionally. Use us as that example, and we'll give you the praise for it all. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks, guys.